morning, everybody. Welcome once again to our Sunday morning digital cathedral, our time together on a weekly basis where we uh, get stretched and learn a little bit more as we can as we conform to the image of Christ. I'm I tell you what, I'm going to get into some things today that are, that's going to rock your world. It's going to mess with your mind. And if you don't listen to this today with your spiritual ears and look at it with your spiritual eyes, if you, if you regress back to an old mindset that you had before, you begin to see all the things that you're seeing, then you're going to totally miss the message this morning. I've been at a conference all weekend long here in Houston. I've been in a conference uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that's November 12, 13, 14. And I taught this message at the conference. And I, I did so uh, with hesitation, to be honest with you. And I'm bringing it this morning to the Digital Cathedral, a little bit of hesitation. I'll just say to you, this is about as fresh a bread as I can deliver to you. This is what's been going on in my heart and my spirit. And I'm, I'm just sharing out the depths of my being this morning. So uh, I hope it doesn't go over your head. I hope, uh, I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm driving at this morning. Because if you do, you're probably going to be disappointed in the message. But if you get it, it's going to open your eyes like never before. So it will rock your world. It will mess with your, with your mind if, if you're not thinking spirit this morning, which I, I think those of you that are with me today, for the most part, you do think spirit. So let me just say this. There's a verse of scripture that we all know. We can all uh, all quote it. It's one of the very first verses that we ever learned when we got into church and began to function. It makes us all feel good. Uh, it makes us feel, on some level, a little bit spiritual. It lives out really well. This verse of scripture lives out really well when things are going well in life. You know, we, we get the job that we uh, applied for. The children are doing well in school. Everybody is healthy and strong and full of ambition. And uh, the sun is shining and everything looks good. And you say, by golly, I really like that verse from Romans chapter 8. And I, I want to read this verse and we're going to look at it from a little bit different perspective this morning than everything coming up, roses and good. All right. Romans chapter 8. When all's going well, we like this verse. We, we look at it and say, that's, that's really a good verse. I, I, I can see how that's worked out. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says this. And we know, and we know that God causes all things. But this, is, this is heavy stuff. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, just from around the world this morning to make sure I'm in the right place, if you love God, just give me a strong amen from your living room this morning. All right? I heard that. And if you know that you're called according to the purpose of God, just give me an, another good amen. Okay, I heard that. So we, we, we're all together. We love God and we're called according to his purpose. Uh, the word know there is, a, is, a, is an interesting word. I didn't really uh, have an idea what it meant, so I looked it up because Paul said, we know. It sounds like he's got some assurance there. The word know, as it's used in that verse, is the Greek word oida, O-I-D-A. And it means seen and perceived. What you've seen and perceived, therefore, by experience, you know. Right? So the word oida means to see and perceive, therefore, by experience, you know. So what Paul is getting at, or what Paul is saying in this verse, in the 28th verse of Romans chapter 8, 
He says, and, and we have seen and we've experienced, therefore we know that all things work together for those who love God and to those that are called according to his purpose. So it, it, it's what he's getting at here is he says, I have developed a trust. I have developed this understanding because of what I know and what I've experienced in my life. And I see how this all fits together and how it works. So we, we're going to get in a little bit of Paul's experience this morning, maybe some of the things that you've experienced. And we're going to explore this idea. Do all things really work to good for the good to those that are to those that love God, number one, and number two, that are called according to his purpose. So right away, we begin to think about, well, how about all the things that you face that are contradictions in life? You know, you know what I mean by contradictions? I'm going to use that word a lot this morning. What I mean by contradictions? When, when what you're going through, what, when what you're experiencing is contrary to what you think the will of God is. Right? You pray for the, you, you feel like, man, this is the job I want. This must be God's will. You pray and somebody else gets the job or somebody else gets the promotion. The contradictions of, uh, of something appearing absolutely opposite of what you've read in Scripture and what you perceive the will of God is. The thing that's going on is completely opposite of that. And you, and you look at it. And you shake your head and you might feel a little bit discouraged, or a little bit thrown off track. And what I'm wondering this morning is this. Are those things included in that 28th verse of Romans chapter 8? Are they part of all the things that work together for good to those that love God and to those that are called according to his purpose? Now, I want you to put yourself in Paul's position because he's the guy that wrote this. Put yourself in Paul's position for just a minute. You have gotten this tremendous revelation directly from Jesus. I mean, he has piped it to you in the desert, straight to you on grace. You have this unbelievable revelation of the finished work of the cross. Uh, you have the, the, the mystery solved that Christ is in all. You, Paul discovered that himself, that he was Christ was already in him. Uh, he, Christ wasn't presented to him. He was discovered from within. It's Galatians 1, 15, 16. And so you're writing letters to churches. You're out teaching the gospel. You're doing the work of God. Uh, you're, you're doing uh, in your writings what will become, Paul, of course, didn't know it, what will become two-thirds of the post-resurrection scripture that we look at today. And all these things are going on that are, are so strong. And you're going, man, this is, this is coming along. This yeah, I've had a few minor bumps, but really, all of this is really fitting together, and I, I see God, I, everything is working well. And all of a sudden, then Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and beginning with verse 23, he writes this. He said, are they servants of God? And he's referring to the, to the uh, Judaizers, those that were trying to dissuade people from pure grace to a mixed message. He said, I speak... As, as if I'm insane, he said, I'm more of a minister than they are, more of a servant. He said, in far more labors, in far, now listen to, listen to the oppositions that Paul faced. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in dangers of death. He said, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. 
I have been in frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city. This dude faced some dangers. Dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I, I have been in labor and hardships through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And he said, apart from all of that, those were all physical things. He said, apart from all that, all those external things, there is this daily pressure that is pushing on the inside of me in concern for all of the churches. So, you know, all things work together for good. When you're getting beaten with rods or you're receiving, you're on the, on the receiving end of a cat and nine tails for 39 lashes or you're all of a sudden you're tossed into prison. You've done nothing wrong except proclaim the gospel. Uh, you've been stoned. Three times, I mean, that's, that is a death sentence. You understand when somebody was stoned, the last stone that was thrown was a, a large boulder was taken over and it was, it was smashed on the, on, on the head, thrown onto the head of the one that had been stoned. That was to ensure death. Paul got up and walked back into town after he'd been stoned. He really did. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard to, to imagine when all of a sudden you're catching rocks, you're buried up to your neck probably in dirt, and they're just, they're just hurling stones at your head, or maybe you're just, you're just bent over on the ground and they're, and they're chucking these stones at you or beating you with a whip or, or rods. Listen, that, that's, that's painful stuff. And you're, you're going, what is this about? What the heck, what the heck is going on here? I, I, I'm just trying to do God's will. I'm out here ministering. I'm out here taking care of people. I'm out here giving my life for the gospel, and this is what I get? Do those fit? Are they part of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28? Now, I'll tell you this as I begin to get into this. The guy that wrote Romans 8, 28 is the guy that experienced 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through verse 28. The guy that experienced it is the guy that wrote it. Remember, he said, for we know that all things, and I told you the word know is oida, and oida means very simply that we have seen and, and perceived. Therefore, by experience, we know. So these things that Paul experienced are folding into his ability to write Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Now, I'll tell you, back, I'll tell you what. Back when I considered myself a good charismatic, I don't consider myself a good charismatic anymore. I do believe in the gifts. I believe in praying in the spirit, but I'm not very good charismatic because uh, the charismatic line of thought is probably the most works-oriented uh, group of people that I've ever been around, even more than the Church of the Nazarene that I was raised in. Both are very works-oriented, but charismatics, everything hinges on a work. So I know what I did when I was a good charismatic, and I, I, I know what the accepted practice was because we had a lot of dualism. You know, we made a determination of what was right, what was wrong, what was, what was of God, what was of the devil, uh, what was evil, what was righteous. We were very dualistic. So when contradictions would come into life and there were things that rose up, we felt against us to try to defeat us. As good charismatics, I can tell you what I did. I, I hit the prayer room and I begin to battle those things. I begin to come against them, bind them. And if it was really heavy, really strong, I would, I would call the troops in. I would call a prayer night for the church and I would say, look, 
We, we are facing things that are trying to take us out. There are things, uh, there's a territorial spirit that's looming over West Houston, Texas, and we need to bring it down tonight. All of these adverse circumstances, all these things that are coming against us, trying to take us out. But I'll tell you what, by the power of God, we're going to stand against these things and defeat the devil in Jesus' name, right? So we would fight and fight and fight. We'd gather all the troops the better together. And the more people, the better. We had this idea that the more people that prayed, the more power we generated and the more we could, we could take those adverse uh, circumstances, those contradictions, and turn those completely around and get things running back the way that we thought was best. So when we face those rod beaters, when we face those, you know, maybe physically weren't beating us with rods, but spiritually or, you know, metaphorically beating us with that cat and nine tails and we're taking 39 stripes, uh, we would come, we would fight it. We would oppose it. Now that I have some understanding that I do now, I'm wondering, I'm just wondering, is it possible, is it at all possible that many times we were fighting the things of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 that Paul called those things that are working together for our good? Were we fighting them? I'm looking at what Paul faced. I have to ask myself, did I fight some of those things that were actually, actually there for my good to work out Romans 8.29, all right? 8.28, all things work together for good. Now he comes down to verse 29, and he says, for those that he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed, to become conformed. Are, are you listening to me? To become conformed. That's a, there's a work there of, of conforming, of molding, of working, of conform to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. All right, this teaching. This teaching this morning is really about the intentions of the Father and the purposes of the Father. The things that you agreed to do before you ever came to earth. I'm of the opinion, I'm of the opinion from several scriptures that before we ever came to planet earth that we agreed to the life that we would live for the most part, right? We, we agreed to our call, our mission, to what the uh, intention of the Father was, how that would be worked out, what the plan was, before we ever came. Paul agreed before he came. So he agreed, he knew that there were gonna be things that he would face that would push, push against him. But he was bold enough to write Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. Now, until we understand the intention of the Father, and what I mean, what, what I mean by attention is the aim, the target, the plan. Until we understand the aim, the target, and the plan of the Father, we will never know his purpose. And by purpose of the Father, I mean the reason for which something is done or something takes place in our life uh, in accordance or is done because of his omniscience, his total knowing of eternity and how it's all gonna work out, and what every, every little niche goes. I, I believe that every day of your life was ordered before you ever lived it. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord, okay? So this, what this teaching is about is about letting go of your life and trusting the Father who began a good work in you to be the one through whatever purpose he designs to complete and finish the work. It's, it's trusting his process. 
I don't know how much more simpler to say it, is trusting the process. There's a process that we agreed to when we came to earth to fulfill the mission that we have on the planet and you're coming through the process. And Paul said, through that process, you have to know that everything is working together for good if you love God and you know that you're called according to his purpose. So some of this is kind of shrouded in mystery. I understand that. And Paul, Paul talks a little bit about that mystery in uh, Ephesians chapter 3. I hope you have your Bibles this morning because I'm going to look at quite a bit of scripture. In Ephesians chapter 3, let me read verse 8, 9, and 10. Talking about mystery. He says, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So there's these mysteries that have been hidden in God. Generations haven't uncovered them. I, I know that there are still uh, spiritual understanding, spiritual truth, revelation that has always been there. Just because it's a mystery doesn't mean that it's new. All right. It's new to us. As we solve the mysteries, it's new to us. But there are mysteries. So Paul speaks about mysteries. He said, and, and that have been hidden uh, in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be known through the church to the rulers and the, the authorities in the heavenly places. That was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's talking about mysteries that have been hidden but are now coming to light so that we can understand how we deal with everything that goes on in life. Now, there's two kinds of mysteries, really. Two kinds of mysteries. First kind of mystery are spiritual mysteries. Things that are hidden in scripture or things that are hidden in the universe that we haven't yet uncovered. Doesn't mean they're not there. Doesn't mean they're not true. Doesn't mean all of a sudden one day that truth springs up and we discover new truth. There is no new truth. What we do is uncover the mysteries that have always been there. So that's one kind of mystery. The second kind of mystery are things in life that we don't understand. <laughs> things that we have not yet perceived. That's another kind of mystery. Uh, and, and, and those mysteries center around struggles that we encounter, contradictions, that seem to have no purpose. Or if anything, they have a purpose that is absolutely contrary or opposed to what we perceive should be taking place. Now here's my question. Can we embrace and fellowship with those mysteries like Paul did that are, that are contrary or even unpleasant? In the 11th, chap 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians where Paul's listing out all the things that he's come through, he fellowshiped with those mysteries. They, they didn't take him out because he knew that all things were going to fold in for his betterment. One time he's thrown in jail for no reason. He's preaching the gospel exposing Jesus to multitudes. You'd have thought the father would have put him in a five-star hotel and, and got him a filet uh, steak dinner because of the job he was doing. Said he finds himself in jail. That, that's so contradictory. That's so, so purposeless, it would seem. And yet out of that, out of the, the, the target, the intention of the father was to spring this jailer and his family loose into kingdom understanding. So the purpose or the plan of the Father to complete the intention was for Paul to come across his path. And the best way the Father in his omniscience did that was through putting Paul in jail in stocks. Now, can you fellowship with that when that happens in life? Could, could the darkness, could the darkness contain the seed that brings forth the light? You, are you with me? You still tracking with me? 
we, we see that when we read scripture, we see in the very beginning that God commanded, listen, listen with your spiritual ears. We see that God commanded the light to come out of darkness. All that was there was darkness and God pulled light out of darkness at creation. He's not the least bit afraid of darkness. In fact, look at this verse. I don't know if you've ever seen this verse from Psalm 139, but I discovered this verse and it really kind of, it kind of put me over on tilt for a little while till I could uh, kind of meditate my way through it. But in Psalm 139 in verse 12, David said this. He said, even the darkness is not dark to you, capital Y, God, Father. And the night to you is as bright as the day. Oh my gosh. The night is as bright as the day. He doesn't see any, any delineation between the light and the darkness. Darkness, he says in the last part of that verse 12, darkness and light are the same to you, David says. All right, so let me ask you. Are darkness and light the same to you? Your father says there's no difference in darkness and light to him. Are the, Have you drawn a line of delineation between light and darkness? Or are you no longer in dualism? You can just see that there's one. If they're, if they're both the same to the father, now listen carefully right here. Don't, don't lose me. If they're both the same to the father, then he can use both that we've gone to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and called good and evil, right and wrong. We've, we've dualistic it out. We've created dualism there. That's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is, the tree of dualism. He doesn't see that tree of dualism. He sees them both the same. There's no dualism in the Father. The only thing that the Father can produce is light, life, and love. That's all he can produce. 1 John chapter 1, 5 says that there is absolutely no darkness in the Father. He is pure, he's pure light. There's no darkness in him. So whenever he comes into a situation that you and I have determined is darkness from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, like this, this is wrong, this is contrary, I don't like this, I don't see the purpose of it, he, he, he can work with that because David said they're both the same to him. There's absolutely no difference. He's not a greater power coming to defeat a lesser power. He's not coming to deliver you from a lesser power by being a greater power. I think in the church, that's the way we looked at it. We looked at God was the great power and this, this devil uh, was a lesser power. And so when we saw the lesser power working, creating problems for us, we would call the greater power to come defeat a lesser power. Now, you know what Jesus said? I know you know. I know you, you you've heard the verse and you know it. But let me let me just read it for you out of Matthew chapter twenty eight verse nineteen, just before Jesus left. Jesus said, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. All authority. The word is exousia. It means authority, or it means influence. It means power to act. It means jurisdiction. A good synonym for authority would be the word dominion." What Jesus is saying is all dominion, all authority, all power to act has been given to me. And then he turns around and gives it to the disciples. So, are you, are you, are you with me drinking your coffee? Are you still hanging on? If Jesus has all authority, exousia, complete power to act, jurisdiction, dominion, then what room does it leave for any other? 
There is no other. The Father has equal power. Jesus has equal authority in both light and darkness to produce life. So there are times, and Paul, Paul understood this. We read it in 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul understood that the Father uses darkness as a platform, what we consider darkness, as a platform from which to bring light. But unless you think spirit, unless you see with spirit eyes, you, this is going to pass right over you, and you're going to continue to bind loose, come against, draw bloodlines, call the troops, fill the stadium with prayers to try to defeat a lesser power with a greater power. Do you remember Paul was praying three times about that thorn in the flesh? He played three times, and what did the Father say? He said, no, no, no. What was the Father bringing out of that contradiction? Out of that contradiction, he was trying to reveal to Paul that he wasn't yet developed and mature in the sufficiency of God's grace, and that was Paul's message. So when it was challenged, when something came against that sufficiency of the grace, Paul, Paul didn't like it. He couldn't handle it. So he starts praying about it. I mean, he's a good Christian. You do, he prayed three times. Ask, seek, and knock, right? Ask, seek, and knock. Now, I want to read that because I want you to notice something out of that passage in 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 or if you flip to another scripture with me, come, come over there and let's read this little incident from the life of Paul. Because this he was facing a contradiction, no question about it. But I want you to notice something about this contradiction. Let me read from verse uh, 7 to 10. Paul said, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And the thorn in the flesh, he tells us what it was. It was a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. Now, what was Paul doing here? Paul definitely was asking a greater power to come deliver him from a lesser power. I mean, Paul's looking, looks at this, I, this makes no sense. This, this contradicts my call. It's of the devil. And, and, you know, good Christians are going to pray against that and come against it until it stops. Now, we don't know what the thorn was. I have a personal opinion. I've heard other teachers say Paul had bad eyesight because of something he said about, see how big a letter I write. I, I personally feel the messenger of opposition, which is what Satan is, the opposer, I feel that it was the Judaizers. These people followed Paul everywhere he went. They harassed him. Remember we studied it back in Galatians when we were coming through the four, four books of Paul? Paul would, get them, Paul would just get them free in grace, get them focused on Jesus, and the Judaizers would follow him up and say, look, don't believe Paul. It's a false gospel. There's a part of the law that you need to keep. Same message that we hear today. Yeah, God's a God of grace, but you, you still need to do these things in order to be accepted in his eyes. And, and Paul got so tired of that. They harassed him every place that he went. So I, I personally think it was the Judaizers. But out of the Father's purpose and intention, there was a revelation that came to Paul, which was the sufficiency of God's grace. So after three times, the light finally clicked on for Paul, and he saw it. And, I, and if, you'll, if you'll think about this, if you'll, if you'll embrace Romans 8, 28, and you'll, and you'll rest in, in him, the light will come on when you face contradictions, and you'll begin to see what he's actually, and I've got more to say about this, because there's more to it, but you'll actually see the intentions the target and the purpose of the Father, and 
what his purpose is or the plan to fulfill the intention. You have to mature in this. This is a step of maturity, and I don't mean just mouth maturity. I mean the oida, the know, that you have seen and perceived, therefore by experience, you've come through a bunch of stuff, man. You've come through a lot of of contradictions, and you've learned that his grace is sufficient. So what does Paul do then? He lists a bunch of contradictions in verse 10, things that oppose him. He said in verse 10, Therefore I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. And he says, here's here's the payoff. Here's the revelation. Here's when, when all things are working together for good. He said, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. What was the intention of the Father through all of these things? It was to make Paul strong. So how did he make Paul strong? You don't know how strong you are until the opposition comes, until there is a contradiction in your life, until something appears that does not look like it ought to be from, from the Father. So he, he lists these contradictions out, and at the end of the ninth verse, let me just back up a little bit, he said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Now there's two, two words here I want to focus on. He said, so that the power of Christ, is, it's dunamis, it's, it's where we get dynamite, it's, it's explosiveness, it's miracle working power. It's the power that fell uh, in Acts chapter 2 when it says they were all filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that word's dunamis. But there's another word up here in verse 10 that I want to draw your attention to because he said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now the word strong there is the word dunatos, D-U-N-A-T-O-S. And dunatos means powerful and mighty, putting you in a place where all things are possible. So Paul's getting here and he's saying, look, all these contradictions, all these oppositions, all these things pushing against me, what it's created is dunatos. It has made me powerful and mighty and put me into a position where now I can see all things are possible. I have been pushed against in jail, but I saw now the possibility of the jailer and his family's salvation. It, donatos also means, it also means uh, uh, being strong of soul and able to bear calamities and trials with patience. So not only did Paul say, this is making me powerful and mighty where I'm positioned now where all things are possible. He said, it's also had to work on my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions. And now I'm able to bear calamities and trials. And I'm able to come into these things with great patience. And this is, this is what contradictions will do for you. When you've come through a few of them, and I was going to minister on some of the ones that I face in life, because I face some dandies. But when you come through some of these, all of a sudden you begin to get this patience that you know that the light at the end of the tunnel is not a train rushing at you. The light at the end of the tunnel is the release and the understanding of what all all of this is about. And so you're able to face the the trials and the calamities and the opposition. Your soul's able to bear it without breaking, without without losing it, with great patience. It it definitely is a is a patience developer. Now let me just go a little bit deeper with this for you this morning, and I, I'm going to try not to give you too much because. What I'm spelling out for you is the outlook, the trust, 
the reliance on the Father that you and I have got to have as we manifest as mature sons and daughters. This is, this is a position that we really need to have. This is a mindset that we need to develop. And I'm telling you, I, I, couldn't, have, I couldn't have taught this. I didn't, I, I'm just, it's, it's fresh revelation for me too because you know, I look at some things and I go, man, why, why is this? I don't understand this. And that's a mystery, but I don't have to understand it. What I need to do is to trust in the one who's led me this far and brought me through so many trials, brought you through so many difficulties, and we're able to look back on those. When you look back on something, you can see how God worked it out. You can see how God worked it out for your good. When you're going through it, it's extremely difficult, but when you look back, you can see it. When I, here's, I'm trying to get this point across to you. When I'm blind to the reality of all things working together for my good, when I'm blind to that, then my conclusion of what is going on will try to exalt itself against my knowledge of God and who I am as a son and God's goodness and God's love and God's grace and God's you know, mercy to us. It, it tries to blind me to all of those things if I don't see it from a spirit perspective. Then my conclusion is going to be that something, you know, that is coming at me is no benefit whatsoever. When in reality, the intent and the purpose of the Father, the target of the Father, and the trail that he's leading you through is to show you that you need to bring this thing down. Paul, Paul took us another level down on this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Just back up a couple of chapters. Chapter 10, verse 5. He says, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. All the things that Paul faced were coming at him to destroy the revelation that he had. Things that come against you are to destroy the revelation that you have, make you feel that it's not authentic, that it's not real, it's not genuine, it's not reality. Uh, those high things that exalt themselves against your, your identity as divinity, they try to try to bring you down lower. And Paul says, you know what? We're destroying speculations, those lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God, who we actually know God to be. And, and we are now taking all those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And where you take them, uh, where you take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ is when you're coming through something. That's when the opposition is. That's when the war is going on in your mind. And you have to get a hold of those thoughts and you bring them into obedience to Christ. And you understand, okay, the Father's working some intention here. I mean, there's some purpose going on with this because I love God. I'm called according to his purpose. Therefore, everything in my life is working for my good. It may not look like it when you're in jail in the stock specter. It may not look like it when you're being beaten with rods. It may not look like it when you're, when you're uh, being stoned. I'm sure Paul could relate, but Paul's the one that wrote. After those experiences, he writes, all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. So what seems to be the enemy in my mind is attempting to veil my true identity and my purpose. That's what's going on. The Father is using those things to quicken you in some places where you're not awake yet. Didn't he do that with Paul when he had the thorn in the flesh? Um... He used that thorn to awaken Paul to another level of grace, to the sufficiency of it, even in the face of contradictions. 
So if, you, if, if, if you're spirit-minded, when contradictions come, you're not going to fight them. All the fight is out of me. <laughs> My warfare days are done. Those are behind me. All fight's out of me. My position now is to rest and let the spirit of truth reveal to me the purpose of the contradiction. And I have to tell you, I can see the purpose of the contradictions in my rearview mirror. The ones it's hard to see are the ones you're encountering right now. You know, whether, and I'm not gonna name areas because I don't wanna, I, I don't wanna get into, well, what about this and what about that? I'm, I'm teaching you some generalizations this morning that you need to break down for your own life because I don't know what you, I don't know what's going on with you. You don't know what's going on with me. So I'm teaching you kingdom principle this morning on contradictions. He will bring, I promise you, he will bring the light out of what you have perceived as darkness from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He will bring the revelation out of the contradiction. Didn't James say in James chapter 4 and verse 7, he said, uh, therefore submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, the word devil that's used in James 4, 7 is the word diablos. Diablos means a slanderous, false accuser. Where do false accusations come to you? They come in your mind. Isn't that right? That's the mind. The mind is always quite, when you're coming into a contradiction, when you're facing an opposition, the mind always questions the Father's goodness. If God really loved you, why, why, why is he allowing this? If God really answered your prayers, what is going on here? Your, your mind tells you God's not close to you in this. There, there really is separation between you and him. He questions God's grace, God's love. He questions, your mind questions, questions all kinds of things when you're in the middle of a contradiction. I, I know because I've been there. I've laid awake nights in the contradictions trying to figure it out. I can never figure it out. I'm at a point now, I don't, I don't try to figure it out. I don't fight it. I rest knowing my life is about the intentions and the purpose of God. There's a goal. There's a target. There's something God wants to get done. That's the intention. And the purpose is the plan to fulfill the intention. So I need to learn to rest in that. The way to bring light out of darkness is to submit to the Father. When you submit to the Father, that is resisting the mind. That's resisting Diablos right here. And when you, when you submit to the Father and you resist Diablos, guess what? Light comes out of the darkness. The darkness will flee. When the darkness flees, the light will shine. I probably could have taught this whole, whole message out of one little passage of Scripture. I don't read too much from the Old Testament, but I, there's, a, there's a passage from uh, Genesis chapter 50. Two verses, verses 19 and 20 out of, out of Genesis chapter 50. That, I mean, just nails this thing down exactly what we're talking about. It's the story of Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph? His brother sold him into slavery. He ends up at Potiphar's house uh, serving Potiphar and his Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife accuses him of sexual misconduct. He's thrown into prison. Uh, in prison, in, in, in every situation, he rises to the top. But hey, this, this guy was 17, about 17 years old. History says when his brothers threw him in a pit and sold him, his own brothers, they were jealous of him because he had a word from God. And he told that word, big mistake sometimes, telling people what God has told you about your life. 
They'll, they'll try to discourage you and talk you out of it. You talk about a contradiction. Contradictions will come from people that you share the vision you have for your life or your business or your goals, your ambitions. You can't do that. that is a, that's, that's not reasonable. And that becomes the contradiction then that the Father will use to show you what you're lacking, what you haven't been awakened to yet, that he wants you to open your eyes wide to. So this is what happened to Joseph after about uh, 13, 14, 15 years in prison. All of his, his late teens and his 20s were spent, we would look at it and say, wasted. Absolutely wasted. Joseph didn't see that as being the case. And he says in verse 19, finally he's, he's second in command in the entire nation. And there's a famine going on in the land and his brothers and his father back there at home, they are, they're starving to death. They're, they have nothing to eat. So they come to get a free handout and Joseph is the one in charge of dispersing the food. So we pick it up in verse 19. His brothers also came and fell down before Joseph and, be, and said, behold, we are your servants. I love it, I love it, I love it. When the contradiction has to bow its knee to you and recognize the power and the force that is within you, that it's greater than the contradiction or the force that tries to oppose. I like that. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid for I am in God's place. If, if he could say that in the Old Testament, if he could say I am in God's place, then certainly you and I can come with 1 John 4, 17 and say that as Jesus is, so are we in this world. He said, I'm, ta I, I'm here, I'm taking God's place. I am in God's place. Now, here's, here's the message of Joseph. This is verse 20. He said, as for you, he said, you guys meant it for evil. See, they tried, to, they tried to extinguish Joseph. They tried to do away with him. He said, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. God reached into that darkness and he pulled light out of it. He pulled, he pulled the intention of Joseph's life which was this very time, this very time to rise to this position in the nation. God had a hand on him and he was, he was mapping it out. And every time he hit a contradiction, it put another uh, lap around the track in the purpose or the plan that God had to bring Joseph to where he was. He said, you meant it for evil, but God, God meant it for good in order to bring about this result or this purpose to preserve many lives. That, that is so rich. Jesus knew that everything that came against him could only produce the redemption of everybody. Now, if we're gonna take his place in this world, then you and I have to be prepared for contradictions. But like Jesus, we have to know that they all fold into the Father's purpose and his intention. Now, Jesus prepped us for that. Jesus got us ready for that. Jesus never pulled punches. Jesus never, uh, you know, tiptoed through the tulips and told us it was going to be easy. He said uh, in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, um, in me, you'll have peace. He said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. Tribulation is another word for contradiction. It's another word for opposition, being pushed against, being misunderstood, all the things that go with tribulation. He said, you're going to have that. You are going to face that in the world. But he said, be of good cheer. 
I've already overcome the world. I've showed you, I have shown you how to stand in that and pull the light out of that darkness, fulfill the purpose of God for your life, even in that contradiction. I have, I have explained that to you. Jesus lived a life. Okay, if you've totally checked out, come back. Jesus lived a life where he received everything as coming from the hand of the Father. Everything. Everything. Jesus received it as coming from the hand of the Father. It reminds me of Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, where Paul said, You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So everything, if your life is hidden with Christ in God, both of you, you and Christ, are hidden in God, then whatever comes to you has to come through the Father first. Whoa, light just went off with somebody right there. I saw that. Light, somebody just got it. In order to reach you, anything has to first come through the Father. Now understand me. Everything does not come from God. I'm not saying that this morning. But I'm saying everything must come through God in order to reach you. Paul learned that. Paul learned it. Can I, can I, I'm being really legal with you this morning as my, my friend Darren Bagley would say. I'm, I'm, giving you, I'm being legal. I'm giving you lots of scripture this morning. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 4. Paul learned that very thing, that everything has to come through the Father before it ever got to him. Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 says this. He said, not that I speak in regard of want. He said, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. I can say amen to that. I, there have been times in my life I, I couldn't have gone to lunch and paid for my lunch if somebody would have invited me. And there have been times in my life that I could have eaten at any restaurant in Houston and paid the bill. No problem. I, I've, I've been both places. Probably most of you have here also. He said, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. That launched him. Those contradictions launched him into verse 13. The unlimited life, is, which is what we're talking about in this series. This is the third, third teaching on it. It launched him into a life of unlimited where he said, I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus learned it. Paul learned it. You know what? It's coming to us. It's also coming to us. It might be coming to us just a little bit slower, but here's here again is a mindset. Here's the way that a person that thinks spirit is going to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. So we see that Jesus trusted that whatever happened in his life, he trusted it to the hand of the Father. Paul said the very things that all the contradictions, I, he said, I got it. But he said, that's the very launch. That's, that's the springboard that took me to where I see now I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I've oida. I know, I know how to be both abased and abound. I know how to be poor and I know how to have prosperity. I know how to suffer need. I know how to have plenty. He said, in every circumstance, I'm totally content. That Coming through all of those, his, his, he was oida. He knew. He, he had perception and knowledge worked out through experience 
that allowed him then to enter into that unlimited life. And that's where I'm teaching for you. Now, it's coming to us too. It says in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? That's what this teaching is about, is taking your cotton-picking hands off of your life and putting your life into his hand, knowing, knowing that nothing comes to you but what it first passes through him. Nothing. Jesus lived in that. That, that brings such tremendous security. You're not being blindsided by anything. Then he says in verse 20, for we have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Or in other words, regardless of the pushback or the contradiction in your body, glorify God. Don't let it pull you off track. Hold on strong. The more secure that we become in the Father's love and the love is the whole key. One, the more secure we become in the Father's love, the more that we know, oida, because of seeing and perceiving and experiencing, the more we know that we can trust him in all things. Our, our love and our trust grows by leaps and bounds through opposition. When you trust, when you see with spirit eye, when you have the mind of Christ, and remember the mind of Christ, is, is a mind that sees with the eyes of the Father. When you see through those times, the eyes of the Father, in which you have no control, you see the Father's hand at work in it. Jesus came and proved the power of love in opposition. God is love. He's 100% love. Jesus demonstrated that love with an unconditional love. Now, the Father's perfect love and Jesus' unconditional love, when those two come together, the result is, a, is a, a perfect love. The Father's pure love, the unconditional love of Jesus, when those two have union, you have, a, you have a perfect love. And when that perfect love takes root in us, anything that has produced fear, anything that we feel has been against us, that we don't understand, we get frustrated with, those things begin to dissolve. Their, their hold on us begins to dissolve. You, that's where freedom comes. Freedom comes when uh, the cares, the problems are dissolved in the security of trust in what the Father has shown us. When you know that nothing can get you out of the center of his hand. That's the greatest realization of all. The realization, the greatest one you can know, is to know that you're never out of the very center of his hand. Colossians 3.3 just nailed it. Just nailed it. You died, man. You're zeroed out. That's the, get positioned there. You died in your life. That's like, like an oxymoron. You died, but your life, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Every opposition, every contradiction is trying to veil from you. It's trying to hide from you who you are and what you have. And the Father promises that he will never be separated from you. So the contradiction is trying to hide all that from you. David, David, David nailed it again. I mean, we just saw what Joseph said. Uh, this will be my last scripture this morning, so don't, don't tune me out yet. I'm just about done. I'm starting to lay this baby. David, David got us there in that in a familiar psalm in verse 23. I want you to show what David said when opposition takes place. I'm just going to read three verses, four, five, and six. Psalm 23, verse four. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
Brother, that's contradiction. That's pushing against you. That's stuff coming up that we, why is this? He said, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of the contradictions. He said, you have anointed my head with oil. I'm walking through this thing with an anointing. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. That's where, that's where the rest took David, where the conclusion of this, even though I'm, I've, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in the midst of enemies and walking through the valley of shadow of death, you're with me, you've provided for me, I see what your intent is, I see how the purpose is working out, and I'll tell you this, bottom line, David says, your, your, your presence and your love and your, your mercy are going to go with me every day of my life. David learned that through experience. You'll never learn it any other way. Conclusion is this. Conclusion is this. Let me wrap it up. Everything that resists you, everything that pushes against you, that seems to contradict you, that seems to be exactly opposite of what you think to be true, is not resisting you. It's not resisting you. It's resisting the deeper revelation of what you have, but you haven't awakened to it yet. And so the Father is using that contradiction. If you'll look under the surface, he's using that contradiction to open your eyes, to, to just have you rub your eyes so that you can see like you never saw before. Father is helping you to cross the bridge into the next level of truth, and sometimes he does it through contradiction. Paul learned it, Jesus learned it, we're learning it. Don't ever doubt. Don't ever, ever doubt that everything in your life works together for the good. Stop looking at right, wrong, evil, evil, righteous, left, right, up, down. No, no. Move the dualism out. There's one power, one authority, and you live in Him. Nothing gets to you but what it first comes through Him. All things do work together for good. Never let it go and don't forget it. Amen. All right, I think that's far enough for today. Next week, I want to look at the life of Jesus and how this man lived an unlimited life. There's, there's three or four little keys there I want to point out. Let me, let me wrap it up. We're running just a tad late today. It's been good to be with you. God bless you. Thank you for being at the Digital Cathedral Day. Wednesday night, on Wednesday Night Live on the Don Keithley Ministry page, we'll talk about this a little bit more. Thank you for your love, your monthly support, and being part of the team that's carrying this message around the world. See you next time.